0: Good morning, good morning. It's good to see you guys this morning. If you are one of our guests, we're glad that you are with us. I have um, just a couple of quick announcements. Um, One of them is... We have, uh, we have talked a lot about children's ministry lately, whether it's the children's ministry campaign that's still going on or having people get involved and help out, and we've had a lot of people step up and do that, and there are still a couple of opportunities left to help with Sunshine Kids Club, which is what happens during our service. Um, so, if you guys are interested in something like that, or could be persuaded into it, um, it is a great opportunity. And Mary, um, our children's coordinator, can walk you through all the details. Um, so, if you don't know who she is, please come and grab me, and I will point you in the right direction. Um, we've got two more two more announcements, and Matt's gonna Matt's gonna do one of them. Yes, thank
1: you. Now I'll say thank you. Thank you. Um, so you may have noticed I'm wearing this shirt as opposed to a different shirt, and there's a whole table out there with these shirts, and I wanted to explain what that is all about. Uh, as you've been following along, we've, we've come up with a new church vision and and uh, core values, and, uh, and so our local missions team kind of wanted to take an opportunity to reevaluate and change some things as well, and so uh, over the last couple months, we've decided to transition from calling it Local Missions uh, to now called uh, Beyond Our Doors, so it's the Beyond Our Doors team, um, and so along with that, we wanted to p- put on an event uh, in a couple weeks on March 20th. It's a one-day event called Love Does, and it's kind of taking hold of the of the church's uh, one element of the church's mission of engagement, of, of engaging our community, um, and, and so we are putting on an event that one day uh, where we're sending out teams to engage our community in different ways, and you'll get emails with all the various details, but Uh, After the service, we'll be out there by the table with these shirts, and if you take out your phone and you have your church app on there, um, you'll see there's uh, the calendar, and you'll see on that March 20th, there's a couple different projects. If you sign up for one of those, you'll be able to get a shirt. And so that's how you get a shirt, sign up to join one of these teams. Um, And then going forward, every time we do a Beyond Our Doors event, we'll have shirts available because we'd love for those of us that are out serving uh, in whatever capacity with the church to be able to have these shirts um, to just help us be easily recognizable in the community. And uh, so that's what it's all about after the service. If you're interested in that, um, you can just grab me or one of the other team members uh, over by the, the shirts by the coffee. So that's it for me. Thanks.
0: Thanks. Uh, So that that helps me segue into the last one, which is just another plug for Church Center, the app that you can go download and get on your phone that has all of our stuff on it. Um, And I just want to give you just a quick example of what is about to happen with that app that will make it really valuable to you. Um, we're about to launch a part of it called groups that allow it's going to allow you to see some information that maybe you've wondered about and didn't know existed or what was going on with it like what small groups we have available um, and what they're going through um, or or ABFs and uh, what they're teaching like did I hear through the wall this morning that the Berean class just started Matthew is. Oh, almost done with Matthew. So maybe you're in the Berean class and you're just sick of Matthew. (laughs) And you're wondering what else is out there during the ABF hour. And you you found out because of this app that you could go to the New Life class where they never study Matthew. (laughs) You could just make that move all by yourself, finding out that information on the app. It can be helpful that way. None of you would ever do that, though. Alright, you guys stand up with us and we're we're gonna begin together.
2: What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to care. to God in prayer, oh, what peace we often forfeit, oh, what needless pain we bear, oh, because we do not carry everything to God in prayer.
3: 20 through 26 Jesus said I do not ask on behalf of these alone but for those also who believe in me through their word that they may all be one even as you father are one in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, and they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundations of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love of with which you loved me may be in them and I in them.
4: You mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
2: catch your breath Evolving in the pursuit of what you say If it all reveals your nature so will I I can see your heart in everything you say Every painted sky you can of your grace, if creation still obeys you, so will I. So will I. If the oceans roar your greatness, so will I. For if everything exists to lift you high, so will I. If the wind goes where you send it, so Chase down my heart through all of
0: to us we thank you for your love that pursues us for the life that you give us through your son we pray this morning that you would teach us that you would draw us close that you would make us like Jesus we pray in his name amen you guys can be seated and if you're one of our kids k through five you can be dismissed to sunshine kids club
5: This morning, we continue our sermon series titled Waypoints for the Journey, our checkpoints as we track with uh, what God has given us for our vision, mission, and core values. We are into our third core value, and we look at core values as defining uh, God's heart for our church family. And the third core value is authentic community, and I'm uh, very excited about that. Uh, Core values are a constant, and they help us navigate the change of all that goes on in ministry and, and how we reach out to people. And community is one of the great ways that we grow together in Christ. In fact, I will say what I've said before, that apart from biblical community, we cannot grow to spiritual maturity in Christ Jesus. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, We are so moved by uh, worshiping you. I thank you for even this last song, uh, So Will I, the uh, privilege of praising you, of worshiping you, of being reminded of the failures and imperfections and brokenness that you uh, not only forgive, but transform and you redeem. And we thank you for that and we thank you for the privilege of being united in community and we ask that you would stir our hearts uh, to better uh, practice the unity you've given us and to flesh out your body here on earth jesus we pray this in your precious name amen biblical community is where we do the heavy lifting to carry one another to Jesus Christ. That's what biblical community is, and it requires authentic relationships. And I love community. In fact, uh, I I thought at one point, just briefly, but I thought it would be fun just to go around the room and and share how each one of you have shaped me uh, through uh, biblical community. And, uh, you know, even the ones that sleep uh, during the sermons really challenged me to be a little more interesting. Uh, So there are ways that everyone here has shaped me, and and I say that uh, to be funny, but I am very serious, and I love you guys. I love people. I love that God has given us community. I mean, what a phenomenal thing that he challenges us to go out into the world and make disciples, but he doesn't make us do it alone. It gives us a community to go out together, to lock arms with. And so that's what we want to uh, look at this morning is biblical community. And I realize you know, when I say that, it's not as exciting for everyone. Or different thoughts come to mind. Uh, one is, you know, that loss of privacy. Uh, oh, man, if I'm going to be in community, I've got to kind of be vulnerable and, and share a little bit. And uh, that's just not me or, you know, not in this season of my life. Uh, or, or the idea of giving up a little bit of control, because a community literally takes uh, assigning it top priority. And uh, especially those few relationships where we have deeper, uh, authentic relationships. Uh, so that could be an issue. Uh, certainly there are the issues of past hurts. Uh, I, I, who, who doesn't have a story or two of how they've been hurt uh, by the body of Christ? Uh, and sometimes because we've been vulnerable, and uh, it's been used against us. And so there are all kinds of things that go on, all kinds of thoughts that are conjured up in our mind when we talk about biblical community, and not all of them are positive. Now, I, I could tell you that research shows that community is vital to life. In fact, there is one study done over decades with about 300,000 people were studied that, that showed having strong friendships being in any type of community could extend your life by 10 years. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? But that's not why we are committed to community, and that's not why we are looking at it this morning. We are committed to biblical community because God wants us committed to biblical community, to authentic community. And so we're going to look at a story this morning in Mark chapter 2 that I think is uh, an incredible uh, story uh, of uh, community. Uh, our core value is authentic community. The passage comes from Mark 2, verses 1 to 12. It's a a story of healing. It's a a biblical historical account that uh, we get to see Jesus in action. He's in the process of exercising authority. He's teaching with authority. He has uh, shown authority over demons. He has shown authority over disease in his healing. And that's what we're going to see this morning. So that's the big picture context in the book of Mark. But within this story of five guys and Jesus and some of his opponents, we get to see a little bit of authentic community. So I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, if you would like to. Our story begins in Capernaum. That was kind of Jesus' home base up there in Galilee. And I believe that this particular home is Peter's home. I believe that's where he is today in in this passage in Mark 2. And he is teaching. He's teaching as one who has authority. That word has already gone out. In fact, in the previous passage, in in the end, last half of Mark chapter 1, we basically get a life in the day of Jesus. There's about a 24-hour period where all kinds of teaching has gone on, all kinds of casting out demons and, and healing, and so word has gotten out, and he has celebrity status in Galilee. And what happens now is he's at Peter's home, he's, he's there in uh, Capernaum and he is teaching and the place is packed out. There are people that are curious as to who he is. They've heard the word about him and all his activities and the incredible things that are going on and they just can't believe it. They wanna get, uh, get an earful themselves, they wanna see him up close. And then there are the committed ones, people that are already committed to him, people like Peter and some of the disciples. And then there are those that are not curious or committed. Uh, They just want to see him fail. And so they are there to critique uh, him, and we'll see them in just a little bit. But what happens is, at this point, as Jesus is uh, preaching, five guys show up at the house. Five guys. Four of them are healthy guys physically speaking and one of them is paralyzed he's a paralytic he's on a mat his life takes place on a three by six mat and these guys bring him to Jesus that's what we see here in verse three and they came bringing him to him a paralytic carried by four men now can you imagine what life was like for that paralytic Someone had to feed him and someone had to clothe him Someone had to move him around to prevent bed sores. Someone had to clean him when he soiled himself Someone had to be there to help this person live He was completely vulnerable and he was completely known He had to be in order to survive He didn't have a job He didn't have a great deal of influence. He he probably thought of himself as not really contributing to society. He couldn't go out and join an organization. He couldn't go out and make friends. But what he did have were four friends. He had friends. He had a community because they chose to include him. They were intentional about this. On top of his physical condition, in Israel he carried a stigma, a social stigma based on spiritual roots. It was thought that if you had a physical disability, a physical ailment, if you were suffering physically, that you deserved it, that you had earned it because you were a sinner you had sinned and you had earned this physical disability. So he has this huge stigma going around him. And that was even reinforced by some rabbis of the day uh, who would say, you know, if, if person is like this, God help them because we can't, they have earned this with their sin. And so there were people that would even look at him and say, okay, well, you earned that. Well, no one drifts into community. These four men, chose in their friendship to include him they chose him they went to him they looked after him we don't know how much they cared for him before during or after this episode and I assume certainly afterward they became lifelong friends because of their deep deep care for him they knew him completely and they loved him Fully, they chose to become friends. Become friends, and they assigned top priority to this relationship. And, and what I think is really exciting is they just treated him like family. I came across a, a definition for family uh, sometime a, a few months ago that has kind of stuck with me. I, I like it. I'm going to put it on the screen here. It's a group which processes and implements an irrational commitment to the well-being of its members. That's a nice, general, vague definition, right? But it's powerful. I love those two words, irrational commitment uh, to the well-being of members. I mean, doesn't that define love or what's, what love requires sometimes? It just requires an irrational commitment. These guys, these four guys had an irrational commitment. What four healthy guys go around and make friends with someone that's like this? That is looked down on socially and spiritually, that is disabled, that a lot of people in society would look at and say, Well, he's got nothing to offer me. They included him, they made him family. I think that's a great definition for church family as well a, a group which possesses and implements an irrational commitment to the well being of its members. Well, these guys are fired up. They have heard about Jesus going around Galilee, and they know their friend, and they are excited, and they say to each other, you know, we've got to get him to Jesus. There's real hope here. There's a real chance that if we get him to Jesus, Jesus is going to take care of all this. He's been healing people all over the place. We know he can't get there on his own. Let's go take him. So these guys bring him to Jesus they know their friend completely they love him fully and they see potential hope for healing and in verses 4 through 10 we see the problem presented from this miracle in verse 4 we realize that there is no the first problem is there's an obstacle of getting to Jesus there's no way to get there the whole house is packed with people and they can't get their friend, the paralytic, through the door. So, what do they do? Well, they're determined to overcome all obstacles and they're very creative. So, they take the steps up to the roof and they determine what part of the room below Jesus is and they start tearing up the roof. Now, the roof in that day typically in a normal home w- would have wooden trusses about three, three and a half feet apart and it would just be matted with reeds and dried mud in between. So it wasn't a, an extremely difficult task to, to rip it up. Some of them would have sod. some would even put grass up there. It's kind of like an extra space, extra room, place to hang out, place to eat meals occasionally, a little bit cooler at times if there was a breeze. And, and so these guys go up there and they start tearing up the roof. Pretty phenomenal, isn't it? They're determined. They've got an irrational commitment to the well-being of their friend. And they don't even know what Jesus' response is going to be at this point. But they start tearing up the roof. And pretty soon there's a hole that's large enough to drop him through. Now remember, the, the hole has got to be as large as his mat because they can't tip him. He can't hold on. So they've got to have ropes on each corner and lower him down equally so that he can get to Jesus. Now, Jesus is teaching, right? That's what we're told in Mark chapter 2 here, and is teaching the people in this room, and pretty soon the dust starts flying. There's hole created, mud's dropping down, and people are starting to create space because they don't want to get hit, and they don't know what's coming. And then he looks up, and he sees four sweaty, anxious faces looking down at him. And they're attaching ropes to this mat so that they can lower their friend down. This is what's taking place in the home at this point. In their boldness, they lower the man down. This young man is paralyzed. What is Jesus going to do? Well, an interesting thing happens at this point, and we see it in verse 5. Jesus proclaims forgiveness. He looks at this paralyzed man on a mat. He knows his friends have brought him there. And he says this, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now he did that because he saw their faith, the faith of these four men who were committed to bring this friend to Jesus. They believed that Jesus could help this man. The faith of this young man who was on the mat who put his hope in Jesus, he saw their faith and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. That word son is that same word of tender affection, literally child that we saw in Luke 15, a couple of weeks ago. The father speaks to his son that way, child, son, Jesus looks down with compassion in his eyes, and he says to this man, your sins are forgiven. And of course, at that point, there's got to be a little disappointment, right? The guys on the roof are thinking, hey, we we went to all this trouble. He's paralyzed. And, And that's cool and all about sin, but could you take care of him? And I don't know what the guy on the mat was thinking, but I do know that Jesus has different priorities than most of us do. And when he sees something going on in your life or my life or life of the paralytic, he wants to deal with the spiritual issues first. He wants to help us out in the most important area of our life. And so he looks at the man and he says, your sins are forgiven. That proclamation gives the man salvation But even socially, what it does for that man in the room is it makes him clean. It lets everyone know that regardless of his condition, regardless of what people think about the sin that put it there, he's forgiven. Jesus has eased a burden for this man. Jesus has gone right to the spiritual issue. Biblical community always leads to spiritual growth. And in our communities, we need people to carry us to Jesus, just like these four men. What incredible love. Your love could be through your presence with someone who's hurting, through an ear, who's someone, someone who needs to talk, whether they're venting, venting with anger or just hurting, or just need somebody to say, hey, I had a great day. I want to share it with you could be a text or a card, an encouraging note. could be some form of affirmation. We need people to do the heavy lifting in our lives to carry us to Jesus, to remind us of his great love for us, to flesh out his love, to take us to Jesus in prayer or to let us go to Jesus by sharing scripture. There are a number of ways that we can do that. These four guys brought him physically to Jesus. And Jesus gave him the greatest gift of all, forgiveness of sins. There is another principle going on here that biblical community always surfaces sin. That's the first thing Jesus saw when the paralytic was dropped into the room. It's something that happens for you and me when we get involved in community. I'll give you an example. Uh, I like to think of myself as uh, loving and uh, compassionate and even kind at times. And you put me in community, you put me in relationships, and that has to be fleshed out now, right? But there are times that in relationship I can find myself to be critical judgmental self-righteous building comparisons filled with pride that's not what we really want in biblical community right so if i want to be safe i'm just going to isolate myself and give up on community but that's not what god wants He wants to transform me. He wants to refine those rough edges that I've got. He wants to complete the work that he has begun in me, just like he does in you. So biblical community often surfaces sin in our lives. Sometimes we're the only ones to know it. The sins I mentioned are all sins of the heart, sins that are internal. I don't typically go around saying I'm more self-righteous than you. But if it arises, it it needs to be confessed, needs to be changed by Jesus Christ. Biblical community always leads to spiritual growth. Well, the next thing that happened is Jesus takes a little detour. Still have a paralyzed man on a mat here, but he's going to talk to the scribes now in verses 6 through 10, he's going to talk to these men who are not curious about his ministry and who he might be. These men are not committed to him. They are sermon critics. And so they are there to critique his sermon. They are hoping to catch him with messed up theology so they can shut him down here at the start of his ministry as some radical As someone who is blasphemous against God and just get rid of him from the start, they need a way to debunk him because everyone is going crazy over what he is able to do and who he has presented himself as. And so Jesus begins to talk to the scribes here. It's a form of admonishment, if you will. It's a form of truth-telling. In verses six and seven, we see this, but some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? See, right away, they're, they've already got, caught him. They, they already see a way through this. They recognize that he is equating himself with God. These were men who did not bring anyone to Jesus. Evidently, they didn't know anyone who was confused or hurting or in need of Jesus. These were men who knew God's word better than anyone else in Israel at the time. These were men who taught God's word, but they had no love in their hearts. They had no sense of biblical community. Jesus is going to address them. He's going to to do this, and I think it's because he cares enough to confront them. He wants to draw them to himself. He doesn't want to just slam them and and, and put them down. He wants to give them opportunities by speaking the truth in love. So Jesus says this in verse 8, Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Does that get their attention or what? They probably figure the guy closest to Jesus was muttering. But he knows what's going on in their hearts. And so he says, Why are you, why are you doing that? He admonishes them. He speaks the truth in love because he wants to see their hearts changed. He's revealing himself as God the Son. Nobody's going to get that for a while, a couple of years. He's giving them a heads up. He continues in verses 9 through 11. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk. He throws it back on them. Again, he's giving them opportunity to think about who he is, to recognize who he is as God the Son, as Messiah, as the anointed one. A- at least to draw them in deeper. Deeper into this conversation and so he gives them an opportunity here to answer the question and of course anybody would say well it's easier to say your sins are forgiven right I mean who can tell I can't look at your heart you can't look at my heart nobody there can look at the paralytic's heart and so it's obvious that that's the easy thing to say and so he goes on In verse 10, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Again, I take this as truth-telling, as the opportunity for them to know who he is. He says to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet and go home. There's a solution. The miracle validates his authority to forgive sins. That's what he's telling these people and they have a choice whether to believe it or not. There's evidence, the man hops up. He came down through the roof and he exits through the door. And God has, Jesus has not only healed him of the paralysis, but he has strengthened muscles that have atrophied over the years. This man is fully healed. That's what Jesus does. And this story came together because four friends chose to build a community chose to have an irrational commitment to his well-being, chose to do the heavy lifting to carry him to Jesus in his time of need. The result is that people glorify God. They are amazed. They've never seen anything like this. When it comes to biblical community, we start with the reminder that all of us are broken and imperfect, Everyone has a mat, because this mat is a good picture of brokenness and imperfection. You might say that authentic relationships are necessary because we all have this mat, because we all struggle with brokenness and imperfection. And what these mats do for us, they certainly give us an opportunity to turn and walk away from one another, But they actually, biblically, as followers of Jesus, given us an opportunity to delve into deeper relationship, to look at someone and say, hey, I want to do the heavy lifting and carry you to Jesus. Let's do this together. They're an opportunity to to delve into relationship. And so your match might be fear or anxiety, an inability to trust God as much as you want to, A need to be in control, addictions. All of us have brokenness and imperfections. All of us have a mat. All of us need someone to do the heavy lifting to carry us to Jesus. And that's what Jesus has given us through biblical community. Revealing our mat to others is a gift, it's a trusting vulnerability. It's a willingness to say, hey, I depend on you for your faithfulness to come through for me. So who carries your mat? To whom do you show your weaknesses? Who do you ask to pray for you? Who is it that brings you to Jesus, whether it's through God's word or prayer or just their presence? I'm going to offer five practices that I think are found in this story. Five Practices of Biblical Community that Produce Authentic Relationships. And I just want to do that uh, quickly, because authentic relationships are necessary for spiritual growth. They are necessary for us to grow to maturity in Christ, both individually and corporately as a church family. That's Paul's word in Ephesians 4 that we as a body of Christ, we as a church family, we as those who have an irrational commitment to the well-being of others would grow into Christ's likeness. This isn't a social club. It's not just ways to have creative fun and all that, and that's all a big part of it. There's hope and there's laughter and there's joy. But it is a desire to move toward the goal of Christ-likeness. So how can we do that in practical steps? I'm indebted to, to Bill Donahue and, and Russ Robinson in their work on authentic relationships and the way that they've played that out in a variety of ways over the last few decades and, and uh, the way that, and that's how I've used it in a lot of different types of relationships, individually and, and communities, small groups, ABFs, all of that. These are things that you and I can practice in every relationship and community. So here's my ad, edit, adaptation with these five practices, and they are these, self-disclosure, caregiving, humility, truth-telling, and affirmation. first one is self-disclosure. It has to do with knowing and being known. In the first pages of Genesis, we are told that was the human condition. Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. They were naked. They were fully known by God by each other that had to do with spiritually, physically, emotionally, everything about them was out there. Self-disclosure, appropriate self-disclosure takes place in authentic relationships. And so if we're going to have authentic relationships, if if our relationships are going to deepen, then we've got to get rid of this rugged individualism. We've got to get rid of a mentality of disposable relationships We've got to be a people that are able to reach out to others and share our life with them. Now, I can tell you, one of, my, one of the first things that comes to mind for me is one of my favorite lines from an old comedy, uh, decades ago, uh, movie, uh, where, where the guy's chief line was, I am Lobo, I ride alone. Now, I like that, you know, I like to think that I'm this rugged individualist, this American, this Texan that can handle everything on my own, but that's not what God is calling us to do. He is calling us to be known and to know others, and that requires appropriate self-disclosure. When the knowing is anchored in love, then God takes our knowledge of one another and weaves it together in our hearts so that we can better glorify him and so that we are drawn to love each other more and authentic relationships develop. The second is caregiving, loving and being loved. Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. They were unashamed because they were fully loved. And one of the things that is so true from scripture is that the one who knows you best loves you most. You are loved by the living God of the universe, and he knows everything about you. He knows how he designed you. He knows how you've taken what he's given you and screwed up with it and been victorious with it. God is familiar with all of that, and yet he loves you unconditionally. And so when we are called into community, we are called to grow in loving one another. These four guys in Mark 2 were extremely loving. They were faithful. They were dependable. And their main goal was to get this guy to Jesus. Community gives us an opportunity to be loved in our brokenness. Perhaps a, a great barometer of loving, of biblical community, loving relationships is the grief that takes place when they are broken. Because a, a loving a, a biblical community, an authentic relationship in biblical community requires love. And when that is torn apart, it demands grief. That's a good way to look at the relationships you've got. You can't do that with everybody. But with some, you can share life love and be loved. The third practice is humility, serving and being served. If we are to develop deeper relationships, then we've got to assign them top priority. We've got to give them time, whether it's a a mid-sized community like an ABF or a small group or just a friendship, a family member, an extended family member. We've got to give them priority, if we're going to build that relationship into an authentic relationship, if we're going to serve them, it takes time. It takes time to discover needs so that we can know how to serve them. And authentic relationships take chunks of unhurried time. You know, you can't pray with someone in a hurried fashion. You can't mourn with someone in a hurried fashion. You can't discover their needs in a, in a hurried fashion. And so when you choose to do life with someone and in one of these groups or friendships, then you are being called to serve them. And it takes chunks of unhurried time. It also takes a willingness to be served. And, and sometimes that goes against our pride because if we allow ourselves to be served and we're saying, well, we're, we have needs and, and none of us wanna present ourselves as needy, right? We want to be the one to meet needs, but that's the beauty. The fluid nature of community is reaching back and forth, serving and being served. It requires humility and that develops authentic relationships. The fourth practice is truth-telling, admonishing and being admonished. We saw that in in Jesus' approach to the scribes. Uh, I really believe that he loved them. Now, he had harsh words for them, especially because they were people who were pointing people away from him. And that would continue through the Gospels. But Jesus loved people. And I believe that his interaction there was a a bit of truth telling. He was speaking the truth in love. He was trying to get their attention to draw them in with his grace so that they might have opportunity to commit themselves to him. Spiritual growth takes place when there is admonishment in authentic relationships. Admonish means to warn, literally. It can be used as to correct, and it's often linked with teaching and instruction. So we can often correct someone. We can help someone correct their course when they have gone off the rails of loving obedience to Jesus and and chosen their own way. We can help them find their way back, and we can link it with encouragement. We can link it with instruction. We want to do the heavy lifting to carry one another To Jesus and that happens when we speak the truth in love if we don't then groups can communities can just become filled with pretense and and shaped by false assumptions we want to be people that are genuine people that deal with real life in all of its raw experience we want to be people who are reaching out to others and willing to speak the truth in love that love carries a commitment with it an irrational commitment to the well-being of others, caring enough to confront others. And that may sound like creating chaos out of community that we want to live in harmony. And we do want harmony. But what Jesus calls us to is unity. And he wants us to fight for that beyond anything else. Unity is not uniformity. Uniformity is when we all think alike and look alike and act alike. And I've literally been to churches where every person there, every man looks like the preacher, what they wear, how they wear their hair, how they wear their facial hair. Everything is alike. And it doesn't stop there because everything comes right down from that type of authority. But in unity, All of us are spirit-led, and we come together and work things out in the direction that God wants us to go. That's the, the, the way that this next steps has come together. People praying together, discussing, and looking at Scripture together. Scripture repeatedly commands us to flesh out the unity that we already possess in Jesus Christ. You see, all of us who have faith in Jesus Christ are united to him, We are also united to everyone else who is united to him. So we have a positional unity and Paul throughout all his letters, exhorts and commands to a practical unity, one that is practiced within the church family. Unity is what allowed the four friends to lift and carry their friend to Jesus, to figure out how to get access to Jesus Unity is a powerful force in the biblical community, and it's because we have the pattern and the power for it in the Trinity. When you came to Christ, you were invited into that eternal circle, three persons in one being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They have had an unceasing offering and receiving of self-giving love for all eternity. This is a relationship that has defined love. And so when we think about biblical community, we don't want to be telling Jesus how we're going to do it. We want to look to how he has done it. And they have been one for all eternity. And they offer that kind of power to us by inviting us into relationship with them something that Jesus prayed in John 17. He was in the the night before he went to the cross. He prayed for our unity, the verses that Debbie read earlier, that we would be in him the way he is in the Father. That'll blow your mind if you spend any time thinking about that, the kind of unity, and that we would flesh out that kind of unity among ourselves so that the world would know we are his disciples. That's what Jesus wants in our life. He wants that kind of unity, and that unity came at tremendous cost. Jesus went to the cross. Uh, The father watched his son suffer the anguish and the alienation of sin. The spirit agreed to come to earth and fill human beings and allow them to grieve him and quench them. This is what God wants for us, and this is what he offers. And so we are called to not just community, but unity within it and then the fifth practice is affirmation celebrating and being celebrated as i mentioned at our christmas eve service and again on january 10th god has designed life to be enjoyed in jesus christ he has given us lots of reasons to celebrate when you look at the old testament he gave his chosen people a number of feasts throughout the year so that they could celebrate god and what he was doing we looked at Luke 2 at the celebration that went on in, in the skies with the angels to announce the birth of Jesus. And we know that anytime someone places their faith in Jesus Christ, that all the angels rejoice in heaven, that heaven is one big celebration, one big party. God has called us to celebrate one another. And, and that's a vital part of biblical community. We can do that through application. And, and I would leave you with this. I would challenge you to Practice application in your life this week through affirmation. Start thinking about those that you might affirm. To affirm means to state a fact. What you're looking for is truth. And specifically, what you're looking for is what God has done in their life. Maybe he's gifted them a certain way, given them an aspect of character, a personality. You've seen their growth or what he's doing through them. You've seen how they're impacting other people. These are great ways to affirm others. And we don't live in a world that lives to affirm others. We live in a world that that says, no, I'm going to elbow and I'm going to, my way to the top, I'm, I'm going to scrape and claw and I'm going to get above you and I'm going to put you down in the process. And biblical community is such an incredible opportunity to affirm one another, to encourage one another in Christ through authentic relationships. It's an incredible tool that God has given us to celebrate one another. Do you know what happens when we celebrate one another in biblical community? Jesus is increased because we are giving him the glory. This is what he has done in someone's life. And so it lines up with John the Baptist's words. He must increase. I must decrease. Worship is woven into the fabric of authentic relationships because we are giving our relationships a focus on what God is doing. Joy permeates our community as people begin to see God at work and anticipate it more. People are drawn together in unity through these life-giving words of affirmation given to broken and imperfect people. And people gain strength. They are encouraged to love and good works. That fulfills scripture, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Affirmation is a powerful way to develop authentic relationships to build biblical community. It's a great way to voice your affirmation of what God is doing in someone's life, either in their character as he transforms them or through them. And this can be done at any time, any location. I would encourage you to do that. Uh, We're gonna watch a, a little two and a half minute video that I think gives us a, a great little story of how this applies, and then I'll come back and give the conclusion and close in prayer.
6: Shoulder taps. So Tony and I are having lunch at California Pizza Kitchen the other day. And- Across from us, I noticed this elderly woman sit down, she's dressed nicely and she's at a large table by herself for about five minutes. And then what appears to be her daughter shows up and I don't recall two or three grandkids and they all look spectacular, uh, ready for a nice meal obviously. And at about that time, a voice in my head starts saying, you need to go tell her how pretty she looks so I don't even know if we're eating at this point or not, but the food arrives. Check arrives. We're going to go down the walkway a little bit in this strip center and look for something. And um, that's the next thing that we're going to move to. So so, Tony stands up. I don't tell her any of this. um, And on my way out, I just kneel down and kind of get into this position where I'm at her level that right where she's now in her in her chair. And I said, uh, hey, if nobody else has told you yet today, um, I just want you to hear from me how lovely you are. And she looks at me with a look I've never seen before and says, I know you. And I said, no, you, we, we don't know each other. And she said, I know your spirit. And it gets really quiet between us and she says, my husband died a year ago, and that's something he would have said to me. And at that moment, I can't talk. I can't talk. I'm overcome by emotion, and I just hug her and smile at her through tears, and I leave. But here's what I know, and here's the reason I'm telling you this. I believe that God taps us on the shoulders and uses us at just the right moment. And what I know for sure is that she was blessed and I was enormously blessed. So I've learned in my life to listen to these shoulder taps because they do happen. And I believe the more that we listen to them, the more in alignment we are with God. And that's an awesome place to be. Shoulder taps.
5: I love that story. I encourage you to follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And I will tell you this, that if you choose to affirm others in your life, you will be prompted by the Holy Spirit. And to hear the reaction of that woman, that's powerful, isn't it? That's what we would call life-giving. Those are the kinds of people we want to be. I would also tell you the window is often narrow. He had a short window there. He could do it before he left the restaurant. That was it. So follow through on those promptings. Biblical community, it's where we do the heavy lifting to carry one another to Jesus. And that's a constant that will never change at Conroe Bible Church. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for the privilege of being in community. Thank you that we don't endure brokenness alone. Thank you that we have the opportunity to learn from you with others, to be refined by you with others, to encourage and propel others on the path of following you. And we thank you for the joy that comes through being united with you and them. We ask for your grace to make biblical community and deeper, authentic relationships a part of our life in the way that you've called us with the people you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. (laughs) Mmm. <laughs>
0: Today with a song um, that is uh, called "The Blessing." It's Aaron's blessing, and uh, this song we don't sing a whole lot of songs like this in church because this song is is from us to us. And um, when it comes to this uh, this concept of of biblical community and authentic community and, and what we desire to be and to be for one another, um, I wanted to just tell you why I like this song. Why I like the bridge in particular. Um, And we're only going to sing it twice, so hurry up and learn it while we're doing it. (laughs) Um, It's a very kind thing um, to hope and to wish that God would bless another person. But I often wonder um, if if God just came to me and said, okay, how would you like me to bless them, that I would probably have not thought much about it. And it's just sort of a vague nicety that I would want for somebody. And the bridge of this song, most of it you'll recognize from various passages of scripture, but the bridge is the answer to the. this is how we want God to bless one another. And we get to sing and hope that um, and pray for that in one another. And that's why I love this song.